Hello and welcome to Cutting the Board in the Post Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben, as always, I'm happy to have Mike. Hello. Claire. Hey. And Pete. Hello. This week we're carrying on our Greatest Military Blunders Part 2. Woohoo! It's a history episode, it's light and fluffy. Uh, ish. <laughs> it's a lovely one, this. <laughs> it's a great one, Part 2, though. Yeah. You know? Well, I just think there's just been that, that many military blunders. Oh, yeah, you could have a Part 50. Yeah. I know this is like a comedy podcast, but some of these have been like hilariously tragic. Oh god, yeah. The thing is, we do try and bring the light to every subject, but some subjects are just very difficult to bring any light to at all. Has anyone had a favourite one so far? Like, a, like not a favourite one, but like a one that you think, oh fuck me, that was a dumbass idea. To be honest, I think that the earlier one with the couple of hundred thousand, like the really early one. The Romans. Yeah, yeah. The Romans at Carne with that the 80,000 who just all got surrounded. It, I yeah. think it was just like, ah. Oh. For me so far, it's a Paraguayan one. I mean, you've got all the advantage <laughs> and you just lose it. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, just charge across that swampy ground, boys. Charging cavalry across swampy ground towards cannons. And then, yeah, and then it wasn't just once, it was three times. They all died. Yeah. (laughs) Right, let's thank some of the listeners. I used to say you can follow us on Facebook at Cutting to the Ball in the Post to the Apocalypse. SoundCloud and Spotify and most other podcasting platforms are Cutting to the Ball in the PTA. And YouTube is Apocalypse Ball. Thanks. Like and subscribe us. Tell your friends. Tell a loved one. Tell a neighbour. Tell your mistress or... Well, what's your male equivalent of a mistress? Mister. Mister. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I, don't I, know. I don't actually know. Gigolo. I thought a gigolo was like a male prostitute. Well, yeah. he is. Yeah, he's, not red, he's not a red boy. He's not a red boy. boy. Toy boy. Toy boy, yeah. Yeah, because like a mistress. Like as, a, as a younger. No, no, because that's what a mistress normally is. Toy boy or sugar daddy, then. Oh, yeah, there you go. Sugar daddy. Sugar daddy, yeah. I think a mistress is like a younger bit on yeah. the side from your wife but yeah. she knows about it that's true <laughs> or they pretend they don't but they do yeah. that kind of thing I'm assuming none of you are mistress listeners I'm sure you're lovely people and faithful to your partners <laughs> Randolph Township Jersey City Greenville in the US Frankfurt and Maine in Germany Dublin Ireland Calgary in Canada Albemarle did you say that Albemarle Albemarle no idea no not me Portugal I know that one in the US. Alba Marie, I'd have thought. Alba Marl, I don't know. Oh, is it? You, know who, you know who you are, I've seen you before. Brussels L. in Belgium, Ashburn in America, Guadalajara, Spain. Guadalajara, Spain. I was loaded into a full sense of security then by the screen not being scrolled properly down. <laughs> you had one job, Mike. <laughs> one job. And I fucked it. Right. Let's go to a big famous one. You've all heard of this one, guys. Custer's last stand at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. This yeah. is probably one of the most famous, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But you, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what happened in it, but it's certainly one yeah. that you, everyone's heard yeah. of. Well, because it's been completely romanticised. 100%. Because isn't obviously it? Custer's seen as it's a heroic last stand on a hill. He was a hero, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a Civil War hero. You know, the guy was a legitimate war hero. Impressive moustache. Used yeah, to wear a buckskin yeah. jacket. He had a bit of a swab. He was dashing. He was a cavalry officer. They're all dashing, aren't they? And that that handlebar tash, though, was it pretty was fucking awesome, impressive. Wasn't it? 
you know, he was a character. He was like one of these guys who spoke to the media a lot. And, oh, this is how I'd be doing it, kind of thing. Media? Yeah, even back then, the newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose, yeah. Not oh, seeing it's it. not that old. <laughs> no, he's not speaking to Sky News. Well, that's what I was thinking. Sky News were there. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Murdoch was old enough. <laughs> yeah, he remembers this. What, what year is this, then, for those of us who aren't? Brilliant at history, like eighteen something. It's like eight. I haven't got the. Hang on, I've got this article. Eighteen fifties or something. I've got eighteen fifties in my head. Eighteen seventy six is what it is. So yeah, the, close. the Indian Wars, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah. It's basically you've got the Lakota, Dakota, Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho versus the United States Army and some scouts. This sort Do of you know like dances though? with wolves time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But you know what the track. Whole... Kevin Costner's awesome in it, isn't he? Yeah. But the premise of this... <laughs> it was Kevin fucking Costner, man! <laughs> He's no Lou Diamond Phillips, but... <laughs> He'd be in this if it was a film. <laughs> yeah, he would. But it is a film, in all fairness. Anything connected to this is tragic, because it was a fucking tragic thing that was happening. Yeah. Because they were just... Well, they, they committed genocide and culled... Oh, God, yeah. The, the yeah. native Broke every people. treaty they made with them. Yeah, they're no. still breaking treaties now, you know? Yeah, it's quite impressive. And there's not many way. left at all, is there, really? No. What, I guess... Uh, their country. Yeah, yeah, it's just not right, is it? Isn't right. It's not. It is, however, one of the most well-known engagements in America's military history. They love this mm. shit. Mm. And for decades after the battle, Lieutenant... Lieutenant, I'll say American, Lieutenant General, Lieutenant Colonel George Custer was considered an American hero for his last stand against the forces of the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne and Arafeo tribes. That's propaganda for you there, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Modern historians have documented Custer's various mistakes before and during the battle, which led to a decisive victory for the tribal war leaders, Crazy Horse and Chief Gown. All right, let's start at the beginning. Custer's got 700 men, splits his force, he's in there with like 200. He's got up against 1,100 to 2,500 Indian warriors. Ironically, one of the biggest forces they ever amassed. The Indians didn't really do big armies. Didn't get on, did they? No, well, no, totally didn't. But they, they're more often ambush in like... Yeah, uh, they never fought in the woodlands yeah. and things yeah. like that. That was, that was their style of attack, wasn't it? was, it? yeah. They'd hit and run, wouldn't they? Even on the plains, they'd... Swoop in, fire a few arrows, and fuck off again as quick as they could. Yeah, after taking a couple of scalps. If they could. Everyone's seen Last of the Ricans, haven't they? Fantastic. Oh, film. oh yeah. It's before this, though. Fantastic soundtrack yeah, was, yeah. as well. Yeah. That's, first, so when he splits his force, he's got about 200 guys with him. He's up against up to two and a half thousand Indians. He's actually got two Gatling guns. The first ever machine guns, you know, the hand crank. Yeah. With the load the magazine at the top, hand crank. You're still talking about 200 rounds a minute, one of them things. They had no ammo for it. No, no, he just <laughs> decided they'd slow him down and left them with the bulk of his regiment. Mm. No, they'll slow me down, I'm not taking them. <laughs> the second thing, he's, he positioned his regiment so far away that they couldn't actually come and help him if they wanted to. Because they were... Isolated. They, so he got himself in a completely isolated position and then realised, oh shit. We're outnumbered 10 to 1. He was supposed to wait for a Brigadier General Alfred Terry and Colonel John Gibson's troops to arrive before launching an attack, but he decided he'd make it immediately afraid the Sioux and the Cheyennes would escape if he waited. Probably not. It's no easy thing to just uproot a village and fuck off when you've got 2,000 people, is it? Mm. 
we've got a picture of this, and if you go on online, listen, you'll see loads of pictures where they're on the hill, and Custer's in the middle, and the flags are in the middle with him, and they're well, the paintings, aren't they? Oh yeah, paintings. Unless someone time travels with her. They had cameras back then, didn't they? He's got I a don't phone. think he's be got taking a phone pictures in of his this. hand. <laughs> no. That one in the left corner, he's got a phone in his hand, look. <laughs> Smartphone. <laughs> yeah, and they just get overwhelmed. You didn't they didn't die on the hill, they died trying to get to the hill. They've actually done loads of archaeology on, on the little big one site mm. and have found the bodies. The they're like, they're in a going. they're in a, a streak going towards the summit of the hill. So they were kind of cut down as they went. Well, they they have seen them coming quite, you know, their scouts have seen them coming miles off. You know, these two hundred soldiers, wouldn't they? Oh, that's it. And you know, he dismounted a lot of his men as well, thinking they'd be more effective as riflemen. Oh dear. Yeah. So Custer, we'll step up to the twentieth century. Twentieth century, a bit bloody, wasn't it? Just a bit. It's only forty years later now, eh? Twenty-three. I don't know what your mass is, Ben. It ain't 23. What, since the 20th century? No, no. I'd say this is 40 years later. Oh, four, sorry. I completely misunderstood what you were saying. (laughs) You're like bringing it up to me. I was like, what? (laughs) It's not 2040, is it? Jesus, what's happened? (laughs) (laughs) We're into the 20th century. We're going to go with the Battle of the Somme. The Brits making it onto the list for the first time. Yeah, Battle of the Somme. Embarrassment on it, really. We've had a fair share of blunders over the years, haven't we? We have. I mean, I could have put this San Juana in here where the British regiment got killed by Zulu. It's the, it the precursor to Zulu, the movie. If you watch Zulu Dawn, you're supposed to watch it in sequence. What about when we lost Singapore? Yeah, that was. But I didn't put that in because no one. We just surrendered it. It wasn't really a blunder. Well, it was a blunder. It was a lot of massive blunders, but we didn't put up a fight, did we? We just went, oh, alright then. You cut the water supply off. We won't do anything. I just marched 70,000 soldiers into captivity. Yeah. But yeah, the Battle of the Somme was a biggie. It was. Fought between the July 1st and November 18th, 1960. So this goes on for months. Everyone just thinks of the first day. Mm-hmm. It remains one of the deadliest battles in human history. Obviously, the Western Front. It's Britain and France versus the Germans. The Germans have attacked Verdun at this point, and their, their goal is to, to bleed the French army white. They're just going like, to just kill as many Frenchmen as they can at Verdun. So it falls on the Brits to make the main attack because the French are too busy down there. You bleed them red. You can bleeding them white. They go pale and bleed out, wouldn't uh, they? So you're bleeding them to death. Okay, that's even more gruesome. It is. So the immediate phase of the battle began with a week-long artillery bombardment by Allied forces. A million shells in a week. Cool. That's what killed most men in World War One, wasn't it? The shelling. Yeah, the artillery. There was a lot of it. It was very big. Yeah. Problem is, in 1916, as daft as it sounds, Britain's kind of just got fully mobilised. They've just started to get peak manufacturing performance, and a lot of these shells are crap. Right. They're either exploding earlier or they're burying themselves in the mud mm-hmm. and then exploding. So they made these Monty Burns. <laughs> no, his work, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's your shit, unless it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> But this is just manufacturing naivety in a way, amateurish. You, you, you've pushed like millions of women into the factories and got to make this complicated artillery fuse. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it takes time to perfect that. Your manufacturing's got to be there, your assembly's got to be there. And the amount they want, people are rushing. Mm. 
So yeah, a lot of them didn't have the desired effect, which was to cut the wires, cut the barbed wire in front of the German trenches. So when the first attacking forces go over the top at dawn, whistles blow and they're all so fucking confident. You cannot believe the confidence. They're walking. They don't need to run. They don't need to charge because they just fired a million shells at them in a week. Who fired shells at whom? The British fired a million yeah. shells at the Germans in a week. Obviously the Germans replied, but not to that ferocity. I mean, one regiment was like kicked a footballer into no man's mm. land before they before they went over the top. Thought yeah. we were going to have tea and scones in Berlin by the end of the week. But this was it. It was the big push. And the real tragedy of it is, is that they're all mates. 1916, you, feel, you know, the big call for volunteers. All those guys have spent like the best part of a year training. They call like the Powell Brigade. The Powers Battalions. Battalion, yeah. So you'd have like a Dawley company within a Telford Brigade, a Wellington company, a Maidley company. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, in, you know, it's, it's like everyone in your town, 800 chaps from your town volunteer, all from the same area, get stuck in a regiment together. What happens when all your mates start dying? You tend to freak out. Yeah. PTSD. You know, all your mates are dying around you. People you've grown up with. Yeah. For you've got, you've got cousins, you've got uncles, you've got brothers in this unit. It does make sense in a way, doesn't it? It does. You're going to fight. It helps camaraderie yeah. and morale and that, but tragic if it yeah. goes the wrong yeah. way. If it all goes well, that unit cohesion's fantastic. If it all goes terrible, like this, it's not going to go so well. No. So they're walking towards the German defences. The Germans have got really deep bunkers. They all come back out, man their machine guns, and guess what? The barbed wire's still there. 57,000 casualties in the first day for the British including 19,000 killed. 57,000 people yeah. dead or wounded, 19,000 of them dead. Jesus. At what point, I'm going to say it again, at what point do you call the people back or just say fucking stop? Well, you don't. You carry on over months and months. Well, that was in the it's first day, did. wasn't it? Me first and you, day. normal people, saying people, well, this is insane, we can't afford to keep this fucking rate of casualties up but they're psychopaths aren't they they don't give a shit why don't we just keep them back and bomb them a bit more yeah I think Claire's referring to the attack not the whole war ethos well, not no, the whole no. ethics of warfare Claire's no, just no. like just no, just stop, saying... stop them fucking attacking yeah. well yeah what, what, when do you say stop you know get back in the trenches that you know call, call a halt to the but they fucking... didn't did they, they when you're, for months and months probably when your first two waves have gone over the top and no one's come back exactly or no one's got through the other side you know that's well we've all seen the last episode of Blackadder haven't we Blackadder goes forth yeah 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 the top. And it, it was like that essentially except that's in 1970 when the army's actually a little bit wiser well yeah this is this is that was just the first one. battle for yeah. the majority of these soldiers, mm. and remember, there's no telephones, there's no radios. You got if you want a telephone connection with the guys at the front, you've got to wheel the wire out as you go. Mm. So there's no one left to wheel the wire out or make the call. So I mean, you'd think fifty-seven thousand the first day. Fuck, this has failed. Yeah, let's not let's not do it again. But they do for months. And they months. do. They do literally for months. The Battle of the Somme ended in mid-November. Both sides exhausted, and no significant breakthroughs. The Allies advanced a mere six miles or ten kilometers at the cost of over six hundred thousand casualties. 
German casualties are estimated at around 450,000. I've heard higher than that. I've, I've heard figures that put them on a par with the mm. Allies. There is a case of the Allies, as horrible as it sounds, actually winning this battle. The case to be made, not well, a very strong track, case. They gained 10 clicks in. They gained ground. 10 miles and you all, cost, you all lost the same amount of guys. Call it up, chalk it up, I guess, is that was their thinking. Huh. It is just a disaster, and it's the fact that no one seemed to realise that the Germans had dug some really deep bunkers, yeah. and no one's telling you how good your own shells are, I guess, or how bad your own shells are. A lot of young lads lost all their family and friends because they'd all joined up together. You know? Shocking, isn't it? Horrific, what a horrific war. Yeah, it was. It was. You didn't get how would you come back? That's what I always like about Peaky Blinders, a show. You know, the first season of that, because they they come back from fighting in France and they're in the. In, what do they know? They know how to fucking hurt people. They know how to be organised. And then you, but they're all fucked in the head. All of them are fucked in the head because of the war. They wouldn't be those people. Yeah. If that war hadn't have happened. Mm. The British government was shitting it. Oh, they were. There was nearly a mutiny at them. Yeah. No one ever talks about that. But when you've got like one million British soldiers sat in France at the end of the war, and the Brits don't, the government doesn't want them all coming back at the same time, because they've just got a million trained soldiers turn up on your doorstep, looking for work and homes yeah. right, that aren't there, because you've promised them this land for heroes. They decided to, to delay it to ship them back in little little yeah. packets of men. And there was a fucking full-blown mutiny near enough. I, I'm not surprised. They promised some homes for heroes and <clears throat> jobs. They and obviously they went there was a depression later yeah. on, wasn't there? Yeah. So yeah, the legacy of it continues. It's shaped, it's shaped British, British culture, the song, let's face it, from Blackadder to parents, to, to, to ancestors who were there, to great-grandparents in our case. Some people's dads were there. That, that mutiny doesn't surprise me at all. I went and picked up my mate from the airport the other day and they wouldn't let him off the, the airplane because they hadn't got enough buses to move him to the terminal. Some scouse bird started proper kicking off. You know, this is after like 30 minutes stuck in a plane on the runway. <laughs> so, yeah, all them soldiers, you know. Yeah. Have you heard of Gallipoli? There's a film with Mel Gibson in it. Really good film, actually. No, I don't think so. But being Mel Gibson, of course, he does like make us out to be completely <laughs> incompetent and a fault for everything well, that's he's ever just gone wrong. At that point, he didn't have any say in it. He's still a racist towards the <laughs> Brits. Basically, the Brits and the French decide that we should invade Turkey because they've joined in with the Germans in World War One, and we're like, "Oh, we're the soft underbelly of Europe." It was Churchill who said that. Soft under, he was he was head of the navy at this point, Churchill. Right. And he's like, "Ah." Soft underbelly of Europe, that is. But the Turks, they're like, they're crumbling. We'll hit them. We'll get our way up into the yeah. belly of Germany. Not a problem. Break the deadlock on the front, Western Front, won't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so well. The Dardanelles campaign took place between April 25th, 1915 and January 9th, 1916 during World War One. It was a joint British and French operation aimed at capturing the Ottoman Empire's capital. Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. Oh, I prefer Constantinople. I thought there was a lot of Aussies and New Zealanders, weren't there, in Gallipoli? Yes, it was a British Empire. This is it's the Anzacs, Australian New Zealand Army Corps. They take the brunt of this. 
So, but let's face it, you knock out the Ottoman Empire, you weaken the Alliance, and then you sweep on into the soft underbelly of Germany, tea and crumpets in Berlin by Christmas. Never goes that way. Despite some initial progress, the Allied forces encountered stiff resistance of armed troops who were well prepared and led by a German general, Lehman von Sanders, and the talented Otto, Ottoman commander, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who went on to be leader of Turkey. Yeah, I'm sure that... Istanbul Stadium is named the Ataturk. It probably is. He's quite a Turkish hero. So it's really shitty terrain. It's mountainous. It's really hot. Mm. It's sandy. You've got to attack up ridges in hot weather with supply issues. And the Allies couldn't advance. And soon you end up in a stalemate like you've got on the Western Front. You've got trench networks. And you just end up with that. And because it's really hot, you start getting people going down with heat stroke. Yeah. You know, water can't be done. You can't actually deliver water to a front line that's under constant fire without killing the guys who are bringing the water. Mm-hmm. So after months of fruitless fighting and mounting losses, the British government finally decided to withdraw from the Gallipoli Peninsula. To be fair, the withdrawal was the most successful part of this. <laughs> they did it really well. They even set up, like, things to fire rifles off and... At times, like timed waits, maybe like the guns what, would to, fire to make, to make the Turks think they were still there. So, right. like every few minutes, someone would pop a rifle off or something like that. A rifle would go off on its own. Well, everyone else just fucked off in the night. <laughs> but it still cost the Allies two hundred and fifty thousand casualties. And they were like, this was like a, a the best. Well, between December nineteen fifteen and January nineteen sixty, oh, that was the evacuation. Sorry. It's still, yeah, April 25th, 1950. Not even a year you're taking 250,000 casualties. Light and fluffy. <laughs> Stalingrad. The Germans invading Russia as a whole, to be fair. Let's yep. face it. Hitler's biggest mistake, wasn't it? He shouldn't have been going for a country no. that big, should he, really? Not, no, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. He should have learned from the Napoleon. too many fronts. Yeah, he was allied with them at the, before that, wasn't he? Mm. Spread himself far too thin, didn't yeah. he? And then took on like like, like a bloody bull, like a like a chihuahua taking on a bulldog. <laughs> Almost, it's like. I hope you're not referring to an XL bully. The trouble is that you know what I mean. Though it's like the size of fucking Russia, the size of Germany. The point. The trouble is the Nazis had won every battle at that point. Yeah. They'd won and every they battle and they'd won it very quickly, yeah. which is the point. They were geared up to win battles in like four weeks, six to eight weeks, maybe three months tops. Russia's too big to do that. They almost did it. He almost did it. It was 50 miles away from Moscow. Yeah. Then all those Siberians rocked up. <laughs> Literally. He split his forces, didn't he? Yeah, he went north and south. Yeah. But he's 50, uh, 50 miles away from Moscow and Stalin gets the word that the Japanese aren't going to attack the other side of Russia. So he's got like 40 divisions of like tough as fuck Siberians sat there they're all skiing dudes you know them Russians you always see in the white white white, white outfits yeah. skiing and firing a submachine gun yeah. there's like under yeah, the 50, I always 000, see that. in all the Bond films in all the Bond films right, yeah. but there's like 250,000 of them and they're all hard as fuck because they're Siberian but the Japanese were allied with the fucking Nazis yeah but they were like nah we're not doing that <laughs> <laughs> pretty much he was like nah you should have been they are his allies really let him down. 
terrible allies Hitler did. I mean, you know, you've got the Bulgarians, the Romanians, the Italians, you know, all those, like, little countries that have got had nothing in the game and just sort of, fuck it, we'll tag on with him because he's winning. Well, it was, just, states, it was it? just numbers to throw at. But they were terrible. They were all awful. Yeah, they were. You had to keep bailing them out all the time. That's how they spent them. So that's how they ended up in Italy. Because the Italians couldn't do anything. So yeah, fought between August twenty third, nineteen forty two, and February second, nineteen forty three. One of the largest, most brutal battles in the history of warfare. Yeah. Taking place during World War Two, the battle pitted the Axis forces led by Nazi Germany against the Soviet Union in a ferocious struggle for control of the city of Stalingrad. No Volgograd. Obviously, the name I always think had a thing with it. Like Hitler wanted to capture Stalingrad. And Stalin didn't Stalin, want to go. Did, Stalin couldn't lose Stalingrad. Yeah. It was into a battle, into battle the egos in the end. The battle began with the German 6th Army, commanded by General Friedrich Paulus, launching an offensive against Stalingrad as part of Hitler's Operation Barbarossa. Capture the city, it holds strategic and symbolic importance, and it guards the flank as they go towards the oil fields. They need the oil fields. They really need the oil fields because 80% of their fuel is being synthetically made, so it's shit. Yep. Tanks are breaking down because of it. What are they making it out of? It's all various chemicals, and it's chemically done. So you get Field Marshal Gigori Zukov, if you've ever seen The Death of Stalin, he will represent the entire Red Army at the buffet table. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic film, actually. It's good, isn't it? What film? The Death of Stalin. And the fight against Stalingrad quickly descended into a brutal war of attrition, with both sides engaged in fierce, close-quarters combat amid the bombed-out ruins of the city. That's the issue. It's bombed out, man. It's bombed out. It's rubble. There's, yeah. there's a few buildings standing, and there's snipers, and there's booby traps, and you're fighting amongst the wreckage of people's lives. And Zukov's cut off the German army. What well, he will He's do. Running, well, yeah, second. He goes in behind, doesn't he? Cuts them off so they're less left stranded. Yeah, the Germans start off really well, but by September 1942, the, the Red Army's defence and the fact the Russian winter starts to come in starts to fuck the starts to fuck the Nazis and the, and the Axis forces. Yeah, the winter kills them, doesn't it? So they get the airports cut off and everything, and the, and the roads. And Goering says, "Like, hey, I can supply the forces there. Don't worry about it. I'll." Start. The Luftwaffe will fly in. We'll drop loads of stuff by parachute. Won't be a problem. Doesn't work. Because he's an idiot. And he overestimates what he's... Much depleted Luftwaffe can do at this point. But they can't deliver anywhere near it. But they go, okay. Doesn't work. They all start... The German German doctors in in the field hospitals are doing autopsies on German soldiers to figure out why they died. And it's because of starvation. No. Yep. Never mind the frostbite. Yeah. Losing their fingers to frostbite, can't fight, can you? No. Um, but when the Zukov launches Operation Uranus, which smashes through the flanks of the city, and the forces, who are manned by Hitler's allies, yeah. the unreliable guys that they didn't want in the sea, the Bulgarians, the Romanians, I think the Italians are there. Hungarians. Hungarians. He just smashes through them because they're nothing. Yeah. They ain't standing up to that. And you end up encircling the city. And it cost the Germans 750,000 casualties. Bear in mind they invaded Russia with about 3 million men. Losing 750,000 of them in the space of five months or so yeah. is a bit of a blow. 
But the thing is, we remember it as well, not just for its savagery, the fact that it was a turning point. No one had beaten the Germans on land until Stalingrad. Well, we had actually after Elamine, but the Russians hadn't beaten them on land. They'd beaten them at all, to be fair. The Soviets did lose a lot, though. 1.1 million. Yeah. Military and civilian yeah. deaths, like. But well, Stalin told the civilians to stay and fight, didn't he? Yeah, dig the trenches or yeah. fire a rifle. Seen an enemy at the gates, haven't you? Many, many, many years ago. Yeah, that's Stalingrad. Mm. I don't know how much truth there is to the, like, the guy gets a rifle, you get the ammo, when he dies, pick up the rifle and fire back. Manpower's one thing the Russians have been short of. Yeah. Still, shitter to be there. Oh, fuck yeah. And all the time, of course, Paulus, like, Claire says, when do they call it off? Paulus is begging Hitler to retreat. Yeah. He's like, let me pull out. Because they launched a counter-attack and like, if you meet us in the middle, we'll get you out, we'll open a corridor. Yeah. And Hitler was like, nope, stay and fight. He promotes Paulus to field marshal. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because he knows that no field German field marshal has ever surrendered. So it's basically telling him to commit suicide. Yeah. And he surrenders anyway the next he day. Does, yeah. Next. Yep. You could do Market Garden if you like the British one. I, yeah, the British lo- one, yeah. I loved that level on Medal of Honor. Which one? Stalingrad or Market Garden? Market Garden. Dropping in with the Brits. Yeah, it was really, really, really good level on, on that game. Going back to the old PlayStation 2, I think. I think I remember that, actually. They were cr- cracking games. Brilliant game, games. Brilliant games. Shame Call of Duty took over, because they were great, Medal of Honor. Yeah, they brought it back, and it just wasn't as good. Yeah, they tried, didn't they? Yeah. Market Garden, 1944. So, yeah, this is the first British entry on the list. So the song? Oh, so, the song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do two. It took place from September 17th to the 25th, 1944, and one of the largest, the largest airborne operation in history, probably, and a significant military disaster for the Allies during World War Two. See, I've never heard of this one before. I can't believe you've never seen the film A Bridge Too Far. Hmm. Monty, Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, he didn't like Patton, Patton didn't like Montgomery. Both Monty's got the northern flank, Patton's got the south. There's a little bit of this on Band of Brothers, isn't there? Yes, yes there is. Yeah. They take place in Market Garden. Yeah. Wow. So Monty, you can, you've watched Band yeah, Brothers, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Monty convinces Eisenhower to give him the supplies. He says, look, I can get across these bridges in Holland. We'll flank around the Germans, we'll go through Belgium. Boom, we've got to capture these bridges to get the tanks across. So, the Allies have got this, like, Allied airborne army sat there. Mm. It's got the American 82nd, London 1st, the British 1st and 6th Paris. All of them done really well at D-Day. And they've been keeping these guys in reserve, even though they're some of the best guys they've got. And they drop them in to capture these bridges. 40,000 paratroopers, a British, American and Polish... And the idea is that the British tanks will advance up the road, straight up the road, mm. capture the bridges that the paratroopers have captured and held, and then we've got this corridor into Germany. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? It does. doesn't it's work out like breath. that. <laughs> <Doesn't>. <laughs> it's a cunning plan. The problem is that no one seems to know, despite the fact that they've done loads of intelligence on the area, that there's two SS Panzer divisions in the area who are re-equipping and regrouping, having a bit of a rest. They're some of the best guys the Germans have gotten on the Western Front at this point. And no one seems to realise it, or they ignore it, thinking, nah, that's going to be bollocks. Mm. So you get poor weather, 
it had hampers a deployment, and then radio equipment does not work. Ugh. None of the British radios will work. So they don't know when help is coming, they don't know how far along... They can't talk to each other, they don't know how far along help is, they don't know if the bridges behind them have been captured. Because the Americans are doing the first two and the British are doing the last one. I would have called it off there. Until your communication... Well, communication's key. Yeah, but you're the last guys. You've got to, All oh. you know is you've got to do this. You're the furthest along the British were. Yeah. So they've got to do it. Because they... In the hope that the tanks catch up. The problem is that the 30th Corps, who advanced in the armoured regiment, armoured army advancing up the road, was, like, so lacklustre in its offensiveness... It was like, oh, yeah, we, we're going to stop the tea now. Ugh. But the Americans are like, they're going to blow the bridge if you don't mm. like, get there. We're, we're holding it, but we need tanks. It's tea time. Typical British response, isn't it? Sorry. Nothing <laughs> could be done until we've had tea. It's literally that kind of thing. They, they, just, like, they just have no sense of urgency whatsoever to get there. And it ends up with... 15,000 Allied casualties, which at that stage of the war in 1944, you don't want to be one of those guys because you know you've got to win the war. Yeah. As a, as a Brit and American, you know you're going to win at this point. Germans are on its ass. And literally, it's, it's like 90% of the British 1st Airborne Division's killed or captured. You're talking about six to 8,000 casualties. Well, maybe that's why they stopped for tea. They knew they were winning the war, so we're just like, oh, we've already got them on their arse, lads, you know. Do you know what? You're probably right, Fuck though. it, let's have a cup yeah, of tea. Yeah, but your mates up the road are fighting for their lives. Mm. But you don't know they're fighting for their yeah, lives. Yeah, that's the thing. They you didn't know that, did it, it basically delayed the war by several months. It was that horrific. Fuck. thing is, we've certainly learned from mistakes haven't we of those types because let's face it the British forces is bar none probably the best in the world mm. isn't it might not be the biggest the training rich, wise definitely I'd put us up there numbers wise mm. one of our top men against one of any other branches top men you guarantee <laughs> top you men know what I mean? yeah. put RSAS up against the other whatever you guarantee RSAS blokes will piss all over them they do and they always do they always do I know the American Marines and the Royal Marines sorry American listeners did an, a joint exercise and the Royal Marines won in six hours it was meant to last three days they always do though. then they had to like go can we just restart it because you, you caught us on the hot there oh, <laughs> can I just press reset <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a card <laughs> Is there, a wind, is there a rewind button? No, we're not the biggest and we're not the best equipped, but man for man, we're very well trained. We'll take you on. Is that, is that stiff British, British stiff upper lip? And the, fact that, and the cups of tea, obviously. Funny enough, British fighting vehicles, Claire, armoured vehicles, right, yeah. are, the, tea makers, are the only ones that come with tea makers. <laughs> they have a boiling vessel, yeah. it's called a BV. Runs heat off the engine to boil water. <laughs> So you can always so you have always a cup have of tea a, have a, in have a British a, tank. A hot wet, as they call yeah. it. Which for me, being a non-tea mm. drinker, was just slightly annoying. Oh, you, you like water, so what are you bitching about? I don't right. warm water. I'm <laughs> boiling water off the engine, do I? Yeah, you'd have had it in your, your little... Yeah, but everyone else is making cups of tea and I've just got what's in my bottle. With it's shit in it. Fucking have a cup of tea then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like tea. Did you just shit on the floor? No, something. It was a lighter. Oh, right. Yeah. I just thought it fell out of your ass. <laughs> my pens fell out of my pocket. 
I don't usually keep a pen. I keep a pen on me at all times at work. I'm a warehouseman. I have to have a pen. He's lying. He's just a, just a weirdo. Yeah, I always have a pen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the Korean War. Not one that we were all very knowledgeable about, actually, in no. Britain. No. But this is quite a famous one, the Chosen River. 1950. It takes place between United Nations forces, predominantly comprised of American and South Korean troops, and the Chinese who've got in there, the People's Volunteer Army. The rugged mountainous terrain around the Chosin River in North Korea. It's mainly U.S. Marines in this. It's a really U.S. Marine legend. This is PVA. Looks like the shittiest glue ever. <laughs> it's also the People's Volunteer Army yeah, of China. It doesn't bode well. It does think. not. So basically, the Allies, the UN, pushes so far up, and then the Chinese hit them because they got too close to China in the Korean War. Was this when was it MacArthur wanted to? Nuke the Chinese, yeah. yeah, you did want to, yeah. Can I just ask, I'm shit with history, especially of that type. Who, who was in charge? Was it an un? Uh, an ill or whatever? It was the original, Kim Jong-un. That's Is what that I mean. Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il. I get mixed up. I know it sounds terrible. No, it would have been Kim Jong-il, wouldn't it? Because he the was an old motherfucker. Yeah. It was the oldest one. It wasn't the one from Team America. It was the one before <laughs> that. Hold on. We're dad? on Kim Jong Il now. Yeah. Kim Jong Un. I think Kim it might be Kim Jong Sun. Kim Jong. Uh. Kim Jong. Sun. <laughs> Sun. Was, was Kim Jong Un was either either the one that was around before. Well, that's the one now. It was the original. Fuck sake. Yeah. Kim it's Jong his granddad. Let's just call him his granddad. Yeah. His granddad. Il was the first one. Was the one before him. Was Kim Jong Un's dad. Just Google it. And Kim Jong's son was his was Kim Jong Il's dad. I just Google it. I'm trying to work out who was in power at this point. It's the new guy's granddad. There we go. Yeah, Yeah. his dad's dad. Yeah, the one that did. Well, played golf for the first time and got a hole in one every time. Every time. And he invented hamburgers and TV Mm. and lightning and electricity. Did everything that man. That was that. His dad. Oh, it could have been. That was his dad. Yeah, that was, you're right, yeah. yeah. So in 1950, following the North Korean invasion of South Korea and the subsequent UN intervention, the UN forces had pushed the North Korean army almost back to the Chinese border, and in response, China enters the war, secretly deploying a massive force across the border. The PVA launched a surprise attack on the advancing UN forces in the attempt to push them back from the Chinese border and prevent the collapse of the North Korean regime. If they just hadn't pushed up to the river... It'd be fucking fine. You wouldn't have a North Korea nowadays. It'd be gone. Yeah. The UN forces, led by the US 10th Corps and Marines, were caught off guard by the Chinese assault and quickly found themselves surrounded and outnumbered at the Chosin Reservoir. The temperature during the battle dropped as low as minus 35 Fahrenheit, or minus 37 centigrade, causing frostbite, equipment malfunctions, and adding to the challenges faced by the beleaguered UN troops. They are heavily outnumbered and facing severe weather conditions and the UN forces mainly composed of the 1st Marine Division forced tenaciously to break out of the encirclement. Then the ultimate quote is, you've got this journalist there, he's talking to one of the Marine the marine General and he says, how do you feel about this retreat, General? And he goes, hell, this ain't no retreat, we're just attacking in a different direction because <laughs> they're surrounded. It was Kim Il-sung. There you go. Was, was Kim... John Il's dad. Yeah. 
fucking confusion as well. Yeah. The fact that the UN actually managed to get away is seen as a massive blunder by China, who, of course, could have done something very... Well, could have ended the war there and then. Mm. Right, I think the French deserve one last crack at this. Look, the cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Yeah, but it's one of the later ones. It's, it's Vietnam. Because mm. the French were in Vietnam before the Americans. The French used to own Vietnam. Right, okay. And the North Vietnamese, well, the Vietnamese kicked them out. And then the Americans got involved when they split the country in two. It was called Indochina, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. The Battle of Dien Bien Phu in 1954. One of the, kind of the last hurrahs of French imperialism. The French had a big empire. We all forget that. It wasn't mm. as big as ours, obviously. No one's as big as ours. Yeah, but they got about a bit, didn't they? They did. They were probably the second... Yeah, yeah, I go with that. Second biggest, and then Rome after them. Oh, I don't know if they had as much as Rome. The Roman Empire didn't go; it only it stayed yeah, within saying. the vicinity of Europe. That, I'd, I'd say square miles, probably more for Rome though, because you got to remember. What about the African countries? The French had bits in Africa, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, not as a lot, a lot though. We had most of that. That's what I mean. I think we had most. Yeah, so yeah. Senegal and uh, well, maybe Tunisia, maybe yeah. England. Then Roman Empire, then a close France. That's probably how it goes, isn't it? With ownership of the world at given points. Mm. Oh, Google it. Mm. You got the Spanish as well. The oh, Spanish and Portuguese. And the Spanish the had like fucking Argentina, course. Chile, yeah. Paraguay, and then the Portuguese had Brazil. The biggest navy in yeah. the world at the time, the Spanish Armada. Mm. Should have put that one in. That was a blunder. What, how would I word this one? biggest empire of all time it's probably someone like the Abyssinians I know right? yeah it's going to surprise us yeah. isn't it carrying on with Dembien Phu it occurred in the remote valley of Dembien Phu in northwest Vietnam and is regarded as a decisive victory for the Viet Minh led by General Vo Nguyen Gap Giap, against the French forces commanded by Colonel I'll say it French Colonel Christian de Castries and the defeat marked the end for France's colonial rule in Indochina and did have significant ramifications for the region's future, as in it gets split in two, you end up with a Vietnam War ten years later. Mm. I was correct. We were. It yeah. was the British Empire was number one. Second one might surprise you, but you'd be like, oh, yeah. Genghis Khan, the Mongol, yeah. the Mongol Empire. Mm. Is it they found his grave or they think they found his tomb? Oh, when? The other week. I saw an article on it. They reckon they found his tomb because no one knows where he was buried and everyone that knew where he was buried was killed and put in the tomb. And why wasn't this on he Weekly? He was the last weekly... person that put the last person in the tomb. I think he killed himself. Why <laughs> wasn't this on uh, Weekly Weird News? Uh, I didn't think it was quite weird enough. I guess. Genghis Khan! <laughs> Anything related to me. I, mean, I think you mean Genghis Khan. Sorry! Oh, no, Genghis. We'll all be related to Genghis Khan because he, he put what? himself about a bit. Didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He, has, he was the original lad with energy to burn, was mm-hmm. Genghis. <laughs> well, if, if, if they were the, the second biggest, he'd he, you know, mm. he'd have raped and pillaged and whatever. Oh boy, did he do that. Got the Russian Empire's up there. Yeah, that's just Third? Right. Yeah, but that's just because Russia's so fucking huge. Yeah. It's all, it's all next to each other, isn't it? It's not like a proper empire. The Ding Dynasty fourth, Spanish fifth, French the second French colonial empire, sixth, Abbasid Caliphate. The Caliphate, yeah, they were up north of north yeah. Africa and Spain. Can't see the last couple, but yeah. yeah. It's, mad, uh, it, 
surprising. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But, but back to the French in 1953. <laughs> yeah. They established a fortified base in the valley, and they wanted to draw them in because they've been like sniping away. I'm like they do with the Americans, you know, Vietnam stuff. The trees start speaking Vietnamese. People pop up from behind you at a lot of holes. I love that though, from the Americans. The trees are speaking Vietnamese. All right, we'll burn down the trees. And the, uh, the hairy <laughs> rock ape. Rock, don't forget the, don't forget the Bigfoots. What do they call them? The rock, the rock apes. Rock apes. It's the rock apes, isn't it? Yeah. So they set up this base, and those kind of like five outlying forts and like an airfield stuck in the middle. And they're like, right, we're going to draw them in. They're we're going to we're going to get the fairgrounds <laughs> and the fairgrounds. It was a circus. Yeah, <laughs> but they're like, well, we we we're going to defeat them in a conventional battle. We know how to fight that. We don't know how to fight their war. The problem is the Vietnamese trying to like sort of beat them at their own game. They underestimated the determination and capabilities of the Vietnamese forces. And General Jack mobilised thousands of troops and labourers to transport heavy artillery, anti-aircraft guns and supplies to the besieged valley, offer over difficult terrain and under the cover of darkness. That's impressive. And they're not saying like they're carrying this on horses or cars. They've just got thousands of civilians carrying an artillery shell each through the wooden track in the woods at night. Wow. You know, there were people on bicycles and mortar shells hanging up either side. Yeah. People just carrying crates of ammunition between them. And as the battle commenced, well, they encircled the French positions, constructing trenches and fortifications, playing the French at their own game, and putting their artillery on the surrounding high ground. The French put themselves in a valley. There's oh, mountains dear. either side. Oh, dear. By May the 7th, the French forces finally surrendered, with over 11,000 troops taken prisoner by the Viet Minh. It didn't go well for them. I've never heard of that one either. I believe it's uh, referenced at the start of We Were Soldiers by Mel Gibson. Right, I've seen that film only once. Right, one last one, and it's only a short one, but it's the Italians. Because I don't feel that the Italians, we haven't, we haven't stuck it to the Italians enough, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, they only, they only had a cameo mention because of the World War Two. Debacle. Mm. They played a cameo part, didn't they? That, well, yeah, really. <laughs> well, pretty much, this is their invasion of Egypt in 1940-41, when a British force of only 35,000 men routed a larger Italian army. Routed, <laughs> right? That's that's routed, that's smashed them. An Italian army of 150,000 that invaded Egypt. They pushed the hapless Italians back 500 miles and took over 130,000 prisoners. <laughs> For the British loss of 1,900 men. Bloody hell. So each man, e- each one of our men basically had three, four prisoners in their possession. Just Probably, going by yeah. Just number, going by the number statistics kind of thing. Just the amount of prisoners they had. Let alone just the ass kicking that the rest of them had kind of thing. Just remember, the only issue is you've got to feed them guys. Yeah. You've got to give them medical care. Luckily, though, they were captured by us. Well, yeah, I know, but it's still... For them. You've got enough food to feed 35,000 men for three months. All of a sudden, you've got another 130,000 people to feed. I guess they shipped them back to Britain, didn't they? They probably kept around there. They would have had had shipments of food delivered Mm. to them. Yeah, the Italians would have. We'd have let the Italians ship food and the Red Cross through the Red Cross, probably. Well, you'd find always there. Our own 
forces would have they would have arranged yeah. it as well because we looked after our prisoners yeah. of war especially around this time we knew how nasty our prisoners would looked after and things like that so you'd probably find actually no we might have kicked them in the fucking teeth even harder knowing what they'd treat us like if it, if the they treat us well the Germans weren't too bad with us. There was a couple of massacres by the SS on the retreat to Dunkirk. Was there? But on the whole... Well, there was a fair few got sent to concentration camps. Yes, but... The, the US but is Jewish, I imagine. If you... Jewish, yeah, colonial... Just, POW if you were, them as well. If you were... Yeah, they were, but it was only if you were like a, a serial SKP. Then they put you somewhere harder. On the whole, if you're a British prisoner of war in yeah. the West, you're probably doing, you're probably surviving the war. You've also escaped to victory, is it? Yeah, yeah. you play my football, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what was the other one with Steve McQueen? The, the Great, Great Escape. Escape. Yeah. Even you forget the Great Escape, remember? Escape to Victory. I know, yeah. Well, Escape to Victory had Pele in it. So. <laughs> it did, you're right. But, you know, in them films, they're, they're treated pretty well. Yeah. Certainly better than the Japanese treated us. I think it's on Nazi megastructures, you might have seen that there, and they were talking about the, or was it something else we watched? They were about a British prisoner of war camp, and it had like a theatre and a music hall and everything. Mm. You know, I'm not saying it was all fucking tea and crumpets. I bet it was. It, it was probably still a bit shit. <laughs> They'd have the, muted if there was no tea. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if you're a Westerner and surrendering to another Western army, you're probably okay. You surrender the Japanese... That figure go of you being okay, that percentage of you being okay drops dramatically. If you're a German getting captured by the Russians or a Russian getting captured by the Germans, your figure's even lower. Mm. It got to the point, right? I read this, I was listening to a podcast where it was about the Second World War because I have a lot of time to fill at work sometimes. You know, I'm obviously at work hard all the time, but I can listen to a podcast while I'm doing it. And it's like the Germans had killed so many Russian prisoners of war, they had a labour shortage. So their orders were to capture more Russians to fulfil the to fill the labour shortage. It's like, well, just don't kill them in the first place. You know? It's a simple answer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's Great Merging Blunders. Yep. I think the you know what, I know it was only a short one, but the invasion of Egypt's fucking terrible. Right, it's up there for me as my number one. It might be my top three, that one. Well, the absolute arse-kicking in numbers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was a joke on their side. All, of, it, the, all of their fucking attacks were a joke in World War Two. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and he did most of them off his own back. He didn't consult Hitler. He just invaded Albania, didn't he? He took Mussolini. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because Mussolini thought, well, I'm the original fascist, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm the original gangster. Oh, I'm the OG. I'm gonna do what I want. That's what he thought. And he's like, because obviously the Italians have been going since the early twenties, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And he, he was like, you know, he he thought of himself as bigger than Hitler. To be fair, he thought he was a Roman emperor. Yeah. Didn't he? he was like a Caesar in his mind. He just starts going off and starts attacking places and failing miserably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. have to keep bailing them out. And that's the thing with this, like the reason Rommel went to North Africa was because the Italians were so fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's up there with my number one. Hey, what about you guys? You, you, I'm going to pick uh, that I'm one. I'm still going with the Paraguayans. You're still sitting with the Paraguayans? El Supremo. 
this is my favourite purely because it, it's a victory for us. <laughs> that was a very strong victory, yeah. Can't help wondering why, you know, the Italians thought they could, you know, go and just... Do what they tried to do. Yeah, go to Egypt. He was crackers, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was too he big-headed, was wasn't he? crackers. You stick with the Romans, Claire, for your top one. Yeah. The Battle of Hannibal defeated them, 80,000 dead in a day. Yeah, that's just it's beyond belief, isn't it? Well, for numbers, it's the song. Yeah, it is. Well, no, 80,000 dead Romans in a day. Psalms uh, in a morning again. See, see, before, that that was my but the, Remember, the favorite. Romans are doing it with swords. Yeah. The, the, the Carthaginians do it with swords. Yeah. Mm. It's even more impressive, isn't it? <laughs> it is. A, it's a high kill ratio, high kill death ratio. If you were playing card at that battle, <laughs> Roman card, <laughs> you'd be top of the board. They should do that. A Roman Call of Duty. <laughs> I'm like a slingshot for range attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Catapults. Chariots. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. Right, well, we'll copyright us. We'll, we'll take that. Activision, <laughs> if you are listening. <laughs> I'm in bed. Thank you very much for listening. Don't drink the flavouring, don't join the call. I mean, my activity in pizza, it may have been interesting with you. And I've been there, keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. And I've been Pete, take care all, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>